0: This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to PacWest.com to learn more.
1: Welcome to the podcast about venture capital, where investors and founders alike can learn how VCs make decisions and reach conviction. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is the full ratchet.
0: Eric Torenberg joins us today from Arizona. Eric is co-founder and partner at Village Global, a $100 million early stage fund backed by some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. He is also founder and chairman of OnDeck, a community of people who are looking to start or join their next thing. Prior to VG, Eric had a range of experiences, including preparing basketball players for the NBA, founding a video platform for rap battles, and being on the founding team of Product Hunt. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Nick, it's a it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show.
0: Awesome, yeah. Talk talk us through your background. I mean, you've had some eclectic experiences, but uh, tell us about your path to uh, tech and venture.
1: Sure. So I'll and I'll I'll include the basketball reference. I'm glad you you dug that up. I don't usually uh, include that necessarily. When I, when I was younger, I was a aspiring basketball player, and uh, you know, surprise, surprise, I didn't have necessarily what it took to to make the NBA. But then I was really interested in coaching, and I worked at IMG Academy for a bit, uh, preparing, uh, teaching students, and and sometimes working with uh, with pros uh, to help them get to the next level. But then I realized that that wasn't what that, what I wanted to do. I didn't want to spend a decade in the video room like uh, you know Eric Spolstra or Lawrence Frank to, to make it. And I wanted to have an impact right away. And uh, I started a company. Uh, I started Rap FM. It was like Twitch for music, uh, starting with rap battles. And I thought interactive social video platforms would be the next big thing. Uh, and it just it turned out to be way too early. This what was, was the a, time frame on that? This was uh, 2011, so it was a bit after uh, chat Roulette, sort of the hangover from chat roulette and we we saw in college how, how big that that could have been. Uh, and so um, yeah I uh, it, I did that for three years. It got some traction but never really took off the the sort of technology was not wasn't there yet. but when I, I, I that's how I got into the startups. When I asked Anthony Saleh, Nas's manager to invest uh, in wrapped FM, he, he said no, but I ended up sending other startups in which he said yes, and that's when I knew. I was really passionate about the startup world um, and and not the music world in terms of where I wanted to work. So I'd become friends with Ryan Hoover, who's also passionate about music. And then after Wrapped FM, I I volunteered to help him out for free. Uh, And I thought that would be the best place to figure out what I wanted to do next, regardless of whether that turned into anything. It ended up turning into something. Uh, It sort of took off in 2014. And I I just started building this incredible network. Uh, And so I started angel investing, uh, scout investing in in, in companies like Scale, Rappi, Lattice, Nurex, and you know, dozen plus others. And, and I realized, wow, Product Hunt is really this unfair advantage as it comes to uh, comes to investing. I'm, I'm the same person I was when I was running RapTFM, FM, but now I can get into all these deals. I have access to all these deals. It's really just because I have this asset and I wanted to build more assets. Uh, so when I was looking to do my next thing after Product Hunt, I started On Deck, this uh, event series for people looking to start or join the next thing. For place for to for find co-founders that that later morphed into the OnDeck Fellowship, which is the same community but but over ten weeks, and then I decided to take my passion for community building and and networks and building unfair advantages and teamed up with my, uh, Ben Casenoka and Ann Duane at Village Global uh, to build a whole firm based on unfair advantages.
0: Awesome, yeah, I've known uh, Julian for quite some time over at on Deck and um, I'm hearing really good things about that program and that platform. I. I've heard it's competitive to get into, but once the founders get in, it's a very supported and supportive and connected community, um, which I think is is unique and is rare in the in this world of just ubiquitous online online communities and slack groups.
1: Yeah,, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. and and is growing in an interesting direction where it has this core flagship founder program. But we're launching sort of programs around it that we think make the founder fellowship stronger. So in conjunction with Village Global, we're, we're launching. We launched the Angel Fellowship, uh, and you know, earlier next year we'll launch a VC Fellowship to really help these founders get funded. And then we're also launching a Writers Fellowship, and soon we're going to announce a Podcasters Fellowship, uh, so to help them get distribution as well. And then early next year we'll probably do fellowships for uh, designers and product managers and, and growth and sales to help them hi- potentially hire those people. Uh, so um, we're really excited about where OnDeck can go.
0: Networks on networks. Look at you. Um, <laughs> talk to us about the early days of Product Hunt.
1: Yeah, it was man, what a what a journey. Uh, I um, it started as a as a side project that Ryan was running, and I was uh, I was just helping him out. And within six months, it had not only got into Y Combinator, but raised money from and injuries in Horowitz, and Horowitz, and really just sort of found lightning in a bottle. And one thing that's important to realize is these communities aren't built overnight. You know, Ryan, so Ryan had launched it as a side project, but they were built off the years prior of relationships and, relate, you know, social capital that he built up via other side projects or or just being a great sort of, uh, you know, member of this, the startup ecosystem. And one big lesson for me was that at Wrapped FM, I'd learned the idea of a positive sum mindset that even if, you know, for example, an investor doesn't want to invest in me, uh, I'm not going to be sour. I can introduce him to someone else that he might invest in. And I can be happy for that person, you know, offering value without uh, you know, any, gaining anything in return because it'll always come back to you. But I realized that it wasn't enough to have that mindset. You actually had to have something to offer. <laughs> and so when I joined Product Hunt, that's what I stumbled into what it is to, to have to offer, right? What, what what do startups have have challenges with? You know, getting customers and distribution. That's what Product Hunt helps with. Hiring. Uh, that's what I started On Deck to help do. And then, of course, r- r- raising money. And, and the lesson there, especially if you're just getting into investing, you're not going to compete with, people have been doing this for decades on, on, on winning deals or, or giving founder advice. And so you have to have some, some edge or some asset, a way that you can help founders in, in a way that they can't. And so Product on had this ability with distribution and customers, I, I knew hiring was another one. That's when I started on deck. And, and, and so much of, of the game, in my opinion, is, is being able to help founders before they get off the ground, such that when they raise money, they, they go to you. And, and then, and village, of course, is this unfair advantage in a few ways. One is the the ne- network superpower of, of the Luminary OPs that my partner Ben Casnoka Kes- talked about in his podcast with you that people should listen to. It's a fantastic episode. But then also having this investment team of you know, extended investment team of over 30 instead of, instead of five, because we, we partner with angel investors and, and incentivize them and, and get leverage that way in terms of being able to discover deals better, but then also have more specific expertise to be able to offer our, our, our founders.
0: It's great that VG kind of you know the ideas came out of the experience at Product Hunt. Um, I'm curious, as an outsider, you see a startup and you see something like Product Hunt, and it just seemed like it was up and to the right the whole time. But I'm curious internally, were there was there some seminal moment or some key milestones that it really started taking off, or um, did it look like it was on the outside where you know from the early launch days it was just working and and uh, and things really came together quick.
1: Yes, I'll say a few things. One is that um, when you're starting a community from scratch, it's part of the magic is it, it's uh, making it look, seem as as community-driven as possible while it really being as manual as possible. You know, the stories of Reddit, Reddit having fake accounts. On our end, we didn't have fake accounts, but we were constantly matchmaking uh, founders and investors. And anytime someone would tweet about something, we would say, hey, you, you should post this on Product Hunt. There's, it looks like it's all community-driven, but it's a lot of manual work. And the reason why it needs to look community-driven is because you want to set an example for other people on how to engage in, in the community. Right. So in the beginning, it, it, it took some time, but then once we established the behaviors, the precedents, it started to take off. And, and one of the takeoff moments for us was we discovered uh, yo, <laughs> like yo, uh, was discovered on product hunt. Uh, yo is this sort of notification app. Um, and it, it went to Jimmy Fallon or something, but the, it, it sort of blew up, but one of the places it blew up on product hunt. Okay. Yo was sort of a silly experiment that didn't end up working out. Meerkat was then discovered on product hunt. Um, and, uh, that blew up as well in South by Southwest, I believe 20, 2014. And so you started to see, like product hunt started to establish itself as the pl- the first place pe- people go um, and and the place to really discover the the next big thing. So those were a couple seminal moments. And w- one sort of thing that product hunt lesson I took from it is when you grow so fast so quickly, sometimes you you sort when of, you think you're uh, indestructible, and so you think anything you launch is gonna is gonna grow as quickly. And so we had launched product hunt books and and games, and they didn't have the same result. We we just sort of. We're too confident because we thought we had the the magic, but we didn't really understand the the mechanics that that made it work, or or, or think, or, or and we just had perhaps too much faith uh, that they would work in other in other categories. And maybe there's some other startups that sort of grew; grew it, things just worked too easily, such that they didn't build the the muscle of repeatedly building it in in other categories. But, um, yeah, those are, those are some lessons and, uh, some reflections from, from product Hunt. era. That's
0: great. That's great. Did your early angel investments, were those sourced, uh, primarily from product Hunt or was it networks, you know, in the Valley or.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a combination of, of, of product Hunt, Um, but then also, also the on-deck community. One thing I I realized is, um, you know, I don't have a, it's hard to have a special algorithm to evaluate founders, especially, you know, pre-seed before they, before they have anything. So the thing I wanted to have was time. I wanted a time advantage, and so I could see through this dinner series. I could see people over months uh, in sort of a slightly more scalable way, and see how they were shipping, see how they were working together, see what they were really motivated by, and so that that uh, that gave me an edge, and that that's something we 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 keep today. I, I think people underrate the the value of uh of time and and making sure you build those relationships early so that you could see how people uh, ship o- over time because there's a lot of, a lot of great talkers out there, a lot of charismatic people, but you need to, and, and, and vice versa, a lot of people who, who, who can't talk or a big game, but can really ship a big game. And so, so mm. time is really an advantage.
0: I like that. Time is an advantage. It's It's got some hallmarks of the accelerator mo- model without some of the overhead, but um, totally. you know, it, you mentioned this, but uh, we recently had your partner, Ben Kaznoka on the show. Um, anything, You'd like to add on the the thesis at Village that we yeah, didn't sure. discuss.
1: Which just at time point, Village Global also has an accelerator. It's it's boutique. It's about you know fifteen startups per per cohort, and and that that time is just crucial for helping us uh, help help the startups better, but also being able to make you know better better follow on decisions. One thing I'll zoom out and say is that we're really passionate about sort of the the future of venture, and and we think the future of venture is going to be significantly decentralized. And so the the way I like to tell this is uh, I made a joke recently that. You know, you'd think that venture capitalists are capitalists, um, and uh, they always talk about capitalism and, and markets, but ironically, venture capital firms operate as if they're communist central planners. It's, it's five people making investment decisions across all sectors, all geos, all networks, even though they can't possibly have perfect information on all, on all of them. It's like a central planner picking the, the, you know, the price of the, the loaf of bread. Uh, so the joke is that's more like venture Soviet Russia. And and so why do VCs who believe in capitalism, who believe in markets, have this top-down centrally planning view of of how they do their own business? And and one reason is that it used to be the case where where you could do that. You could have an investor who covered the entire internet sector. And and what's happened is we've had an explosion of new sectors and subsectors within the sectors. And then and, and you you've covered this a lot, explosion of entrepreneurship just more globally. And so just like in capitalism, whenever there's complexity, you want to decentralize knowledge to the edges of a network. And that's what markets. Really do well. So there's no way that five people or eight people can have enough information in all sectors, all geos to to price effectively, price a loaf of bread effectively. But maybe thirty can. Maybe fifty can. And so what Village does is try to create markets in venture by incentivizing dozens of people to source, select, and support companies with us and on our behalf, so we can have better expertise uh, across sectors and, and geos.
0: And you empower the uh the network participants the 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 scouts and the angels that you work with to make investments on their own is that correct yes.
1: yep uh, we give them uh, some we work with closely in a referral capacity others we just give uh allocation and and they they do their thing
0: so how do you think about you know folks that have experienced angel investing versus those that don't
1: yeah we like to uh we like to work with both archetypes and and one one thing i've we've discovered about sort of choosing is that that there's the venture is a very inefficient market. Um, it, it's really interesting. Startup start investing is weird because it takes seven to 10 years to, to, to be great. And, and not necessarily because of the skills you gain, but because it's just to even know how you're doing, right? Uh, you, you could invest for two or three years in a bunch of companies and you're, you're considered a beginner, literally go in a coma for seven years. So you haven't improved your skills at all. Come back and be known as one of the best investors in the world, despite having the same level of skill. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other industry where, where you can do that. And, and we're talking about basketball and basketball, for example, you, you could see LeBron James at 18 and not only realize that he's going to be amazing later, but he's amazing right now. Uh, and it, it's, it's just obvious and it's apparent, whereas uh, the VC equivalent uh, ha- has to wait, you know, seven to 10 years before you can even analyze their performance uh, effectively. And so that suggests that there's extra arbitrage in finding sort of the 18 the year old VC LeBron, or at least the, the people who are great but not legibly so. And so, uh, so so, again, we work with both archetypes, but it's, it's really interesting to try to uncover the, uh, the up and coming gems because you uh, not other, other people aren't searching for them as much. Um, and it also, it's unclear, you know, LeBron is is 18. He's amazing, but you know, he's going to get better at 25. Sort of unclear how much better people people get at, at their craft over time. Sometimes we draw the wrong lessons. Like, is Chris Saka better at 45 than he was at 25? I mean, among his first deals were were Uber and Twitter. He, he might have better expertise later on or better judgment, but as people get more successful, sometimes they get less hungry or they get less in the flow of emerging young people and that's why a lot of first funds perform so well, because the person is so well networked and, and so hungry. So we'd we love to work with Saka now, but we're, all, we're really inspired by the idea of getting Sokka before their Sokka, uh, because it's more arbitrage, because they, they could be better, but also because you're expanding the, the pot. You're expanding the, the you know uh, pool of, of angel investors that, that exist. And we're really motivated by increasing the, the amount of founders and increasing the, the amount of investors.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting point. You know, more knowledge is not always better, right? Um, and there's diminishing returns on acquiring more data. And I I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, Rami Adib, the other day at 1984 about this, and um, we were both looking at an investment memo uh, by you know a peer at another firm that had written like a 25 page eight point font investment memo on a pre seed deal. <laughs> and, uh, we were both just kind of. Everyone's got a different style, and you know what? They this this firm may far outperform us, but y- you know, often it's the two things or three things that really matter. It's not the one hundred to five hundred items that collectively kind of you know all fit together for something to work really well. Totally, hundred percent. So, um, you know, I talk to, of course, a lot of LPs, uh, both from a business standpoint and on the show here, um, in many LPs, especially institutions are oriented toward, you know, concentrated portfolios, right? They like investing in, in venture funds that are taking huge ownership stakes and high conviction and, uh, you know, lots of, lots of concentration, you know, what's your approach. I I know that you guys do a lot of investments. You have the accelerator model as well. Um, you know, how, how are you thinking about portfolio construction at village global? (laughs)
1: Uh, we, we think about it a bit differently for, from from other firms we we, we have a, a wide portfolio and I'll get to why that is first I want to sort of zoom out and just just talk about the math uh, you know VC is is like many other businesses is a, is a hits driven business the, the top 2.5 percent of VC backed companies you know a hundred out of four thousand a year make, make up all the returns yep and so getting into one of those with meaningful ownership is is everything the The average unicorn hit rate is is 2.5 percent Sequoia you know one of the best firms of all time if not the best Has five percent unicorn hit rate, so uh, the idea is that so if you don't have um, you know uh, if you don't have twenty companies, Sequoia needs at least um, you know uh, actually let me pause there. So
0: Sequoia is twice as good as the index then. Yes,
1: yes. So the 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 sort of idea there is as long as your picking or winning abilities don't delay or don't decay, you should do as many companies as you can. But uh, often the, the the math doesn't meet the reality or match reality because over time, your picking is compromised and your ability to help is compromised and your signal is compromised. And so you, you shouldn't necessarily keep that, that same ratio uh, over time. And there's some sort of uh, decay point. And the question is, what's that decay point? And, and, and th- this is why VC has been known to be an anti-network effects business. The more companies you have, the in theory, the worse you are at picking and, and helping because you have less time. Now, YC is really a challenge to, to this idea. Uh, YC flipped this around and said, what's really helpful is not, Venture capitalists as much as other founders and a network of other founders, or that's more helpful. So, so YC does you know four hundred or five hundred companies a year, and yet they're one of the best startup credentials in the world. Such that when when founders go into TechCrunch, they're sometimes named YC backed ahead of founders fund backed or even Sequoia backed sometimes. And so, how how do we explain that? And I, I think um, what they see their portfolio, they they try to make it, and what we try to make it is a is a positive network effects business. So the more companies you invest in. If, if you build the community right the more founders you 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 uh, the more po- uh, great founders you have in your network uh, the, the more valuable that the network gets um, and then the, the way we get around sort of the challenges of how do you not make decision making worse and how do you uh, is is our um, network leader or, or Scout program so it's not Eric picking 200 companies which we will we'll have a fun one or or and picking 200 companies it's just, it's every network leader picking three companies um, and so um we're really interested in how to make venture a positive network effects business and how to not, how to sort of extend, do more deals without having a a decay, a decay point. Now, in terms of why uh, LPs may may not uh, sort of get, get on board with it. I think LPs just like sort of venture capitalists, when they fund founders, they're playing a portfolio game. So they want, um, you know, if you have a, you know, eighty percent of your portfolio in Uber, like Google did. You know, the more concentration means the more uh, chance of getting a, a much higher return. What diversification gives you is, is a safer chance at getting sort of the rep- reliable and repeatable three uh, X. But LPs are, are creating playing more of a portfolio game, so they're willing to t- take some of the trade offs that maybe if you you know uh, one individual venture firm m- might not. But then also, um, it's just it's seen as a uh, it, it's seen as lower status because. Um, venture capitalists are interested in making themselves as as unique and uncommodifiable as as possible, and so the more the narrative is that venture capitalists have the magic to pick winners, have the magic to to help winners, uh, help, help, you know, create winners through their through their advice, and that um, you know only people who are experienced in, in venture capital can be can be venture capitalists. The more special they they, they seem, uh, or we seem, the, the more you have a diversified portfolio the more it sort of admits humility on a picking level and on a helping level, particularly for the venture capitalists.
0: Very good. Yeah, you know, if we were to fast forward a few years, um, let's say you have some angels in the extended network that have really strong early signals of success, right? Good follow-on rates, good logos for those follow-ons, good markups, et cetera, maybe some early exits that are strong. Um, you know, and, and let's say some of the other angels don't. Right there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of signal and performance there. I mean, do you call the herd, or you know, do you also amplify those that are seemingly good pickers, or how do you think about that?
1: We, we do both. We we uh, amplify the ones that are that are, that are doing great and, and really invested in it. We 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 call the ones you know in, in a friendly way that that aren't aren't doing great. But um, the, the thing that we find is that someone who's in the flow right now may not be in the flow two years from now. Uh, and so th- th- these things sort of there is higher turnover, and that's why we work with them in a. We're not giving them fun- ten-year funds. We're, we're we're working with them. You know, every year, re- year we we reconsider, we re-up people who are doing great or amplify them, and we sort of call the ones who aren't focused on angel investing or, or their deals haven't haven't taken off. So it, it's it's a it's a bit of both. But it, what's surprising for us is just how fast these these network move, networks move.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because like a lot of the acting executives uh, at least that I know that are in position like very little time, right? Lots going on. And then as soon as they retire or take a sabbatical or or leave, you know, and they have a gap between roles, that's when they have all the time, but they have less flow. Totally. totally. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, why do you think so many VCs have concentrated portfolios, uh, considering the math?
1: Yeah. You know, there's this great um quote I think Parker Thompson said he said spray and pray is a term one VC uses for another uh, VC that just has a more diverse diverse portfolio than their own uh, sort of like everyone before me is throwing darts everyone after me is a is a banker I, I think most venture capitalists really see um, themselves as a as craftsmen and craftswomen and, and and that's awesome I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, fan of that but they don't necessarily see um, themselves as like building, a network effects business or really building a product or really building a platform or really building a company. And often that that, that's why they're VCs. Otherwise they'd be building a company. They'd be building, building startups. And so, um, you know, if if you were to be a a venture capitalist in 1990, and then you went in a coma for 30 years and and you came back, you you probably wouldn't be surprised at that much. Like the industry really hasn't, hasn't changed that much. And there are a bunch of people who've, who've tried to do things, but really the only, the only one with a lot of success seems to be Y Combinator. It's sort of flipping at least the portfolio construction on its head and turning it into a positive network effects business. But uh, I think the reason why most VCs do, don't do do it is because it's hard. It takes a different kind of skill. It takes a community building skill. It takes a product skill. It takes a data skill. And that's uh, that's not necessarily what they got into VC for, or it's not necessarily what they're, what they're gifted at. And it's working for them. Uh, what, what they're currently doing is working for them. And so they don't want things to change. They, if you're at the top now, you know, why do you want the industry to turn on turn on its head?
0: Well, and it's it, to some degree confidence and conviction, even to some degree arrogance and banging the table. Like that can that sells right going in and saying, you know what, <laughs> we the picking, we we think we might be better, but we're not sure, and that's why we need to cast a wider net. Uh, no. The humility, I think, probably doesn't convert as well as you know. Uber confidence, yeah. When it no, comes to that yeah,
1: piece, totally. It's it's a more sober, it's a more sober story, and you, you're going to need, you know, and, and people say well, YC, oh, but YC is a fluke, and so you'll you'll need more uh, examples, and and you know, Village is is, is taking a, a different approach, but a similar philosophy, and and hopefully will 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 be one for, for other people, and there you know, you'd have had Hustle Fund, they're, they're doing a great job, lots of others sort of uh, are, are, are espousing this
0: as well. How do you guys think about reserves and follow-ons? Yeah.
1: I, you know, I think people don't think enough about, uh, about the following to sort of take the default path, which is to, you know, they say, uh, I'm going to make a number of bets in the reserve for a follow-on to double down on my winners, but it's, um, sort of artificially limiting your pool. Like the best series A firms don't just look at the companies in your portfolio. They look at every good firms right. companies too. So if you're putting a dollar into, you know, Pro Rata, uh, a company that, that, that dollar has to compete with every other investment opportunity you have. If you put, a dollar at seed, and then, and then separately, if you put a dollar at seed for every two dollars in reserve at the A, what you are basically saying is you are a Series A fund, even though you are, you know, uh, marketing yourself as a seed fund. And, and then most venture funds don't know what the returns on their reserves are, but it, but it's often worse than their first check. And, and so the question is, why do they put more into reserves than their first check? Or Why should they? Uh, I, I don't think they, they, they should. Uh, sometimes it's because they think they truly have an advantage, but uh, deep down, I think it's because they fit it fits their model of what they think it means to be a VC. What we think is that, or what we've seen in the last couple of years, is that price often gets bid up faster than the risk has gone down, uh, and so we've tended to put much more uh, upfront uh, because valuations have just have just been crazy, and we we don't want to uh, limit the uh, sort of following opportunities just to our portfolio. Uh, that said, the, um, the the flip side of this is if you have differentiated insight into your portfolio. Don't just do the prorata. Really double down. Uh, and so the um, that that's sort of my, my my conclusion is don't follow on blindly because every follow on dollar competes with every other company that could be invested in. And if you identify something in your in your portfolio. Don't just don't just do the parata. really double and and triple down, you know, uh, beyond. And so that that, that's how we think about it internally. Yeah,
0: it's like a pre-seed or a seed fund that the average valuation they pay after follow-ons is, you know, 30 million plus. (laughs) You know what you no longer look like a seed fund on paper. And uh, we had a good chat with uh, Eric Paley of Founder Collective. Probably a few years ago now on, on that subject, um, sort of a classic episode. I'd encourage folks to go check that out if if you want to go deeper down that rabbit hole. But um, but yeah, the, the following checks are not going to produce you know the outcomes of the early checks. I mean, the multiples just aren't going to be the same. Um, and I've I've had analysts from uh, I'm, I'm in Chicago, of course, from uh, Northwestern in Chicago run all sorts of Monte Carlo c- scenarios on this, and yeah. the answer is always put the money in up front if you can get the allocation. Um, yep. so it's kind of, kind of an interesting exercise. Um, Eric, you know, what, what do you think the role is of, of a pre-seed firm?
1: Yeah, I got this, uh, this analogy from Ali Hamed who, uh, co- uh, at uh, Coventry is really smart. Um, pre-seed is, is about proving customer value more so than revenue. And so the analogy he gave me is consider a restaurant. The the KPI to track is not whether customers ate and paid. It's whether they finished their plates, took some food home and then came back again. Right. And so startups pre-seed are trying to prove customer value so they have some idea of what L- 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 LTV is, long-term value, lifetime value. And so don't spend money acquiring customers before you know how valuable the, those customers are to you. If, if your customer is worth 100 k to you, you can hire a sales team. If they're worth 2 k you need to do marketing and, and ad campaigns. And so seed funds expect these businesses to already be growing, but without a hypothesis, on LTV is, so you can't know how to best acquire a customer. And so, I think that that's what pre-seed firms are, are are set to do is is help startups prove and figure out their customer value so that they can earn the right to go raise a seed round and and, and get more customers.
0: And how and, how do you yeah. help the founders prove lifetime value and customer value? Are there exercises you take them through, or is there a knowledge base, or is it just you know coaching and support?
1: The the biggest thing we try to do is introduce them to customers, and so. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that they that can they
1: have an opportunity to do it. And so we're, we spend a lot of time with the companies our luminaries represent and the companies our network leaders represent really building that that customer network such that we can make warm introductions
0: to to, to our companies. If there's a weakness in the village model, what is it?
1: I think, um, you know, we, we're trying to get 5% uh, up front. The, the weakness of, of the village model is that we're never going to be able to spend as much time uh, with an individual company as uh, you know as a firm that has you know 15 or 20 companies in their portfolio. And so sometimes we we lead, sometimes we co-lead. But if if you really want someone who's going to talk to you every day uh, and you know is is uh, you know homebrew or you know one of one of these other firms are are, are the firm for, for you now we like to partner with, with a lot of those And we think after one sort of really institutional lead who, who takes, you know, utter responsibility in every single way, there's sort of diminishing returns to having multiple of those. And and a lot of companies don't even want that. Like they prefer the founder fund model of, hey, give me money when I need it. You know, give me a good brand, introduce me to to your network, but let me build a business. Uh, You know, don't, don't get in my way. Don't try to um, sort of, you know, pretend you're operating the business because you, you, you're a founder and that's your, that's your instinct. But um, but that, that's a potential weakness. Is is for companies who really want that hand holding and, and deep coaching, you won't get it with Village alone. But that's why we we like to partner with with, with those uh, those people and our sort of five percent uh, allocation target uh, l- lets us do that usually.
0: Eric, part of your your model is to increase the amount of total founders and total investors. I mean, it's it's pretty clear from the the networks that you're building and sort of the uh, the focus on company creation. Um, What do you say to those that are arguing, you know, there's too much capital in the market already. There's too much company formation by those that uh, shouldn't be starting companies.
1: Yeah. The, um, I say that, who are they to say, uh, you know, (laughs) I I think it's very convenient. I think the people who often say that are founders who are looking to hire people who are frustrated that everyone they want to hire wants to start a company. And then, uh, you know, venture capitalists who, you know, why do they want more competition into the market? The um, there's this uh, idea called Tramm's Law, which is that the, the idea that the single most important contributor to a nation's economic growth is the number of startups that grow to a billion dollars in revenue within twenty years. We, we produce around thirty-three unicorns a year. We need about a hundred unicorns to maintain post-World War II growth rates, and, and so the only way I, I know to do that is to have you know it's is for more capital, more investors, and more founders. Uh, um, and even if it's the same amount of capital, it's what we were talking about earlier about decentralizing venture it's distributed into, into more hands. And so, um, village global is focused on getting more investors by giving dozens of investors capital to invest on our behalf and really just getting numbers on, on the board for these people. So that, so they can build a track record, especially with how the venture is so inefficient, they, they got to start early. And, and we'll get to how to break into to VC, VC later, uh, on the, on the founder side, I've sort of identified some of the bottlenecks we, we feel are as, uh, you having a co-founder, uh, having the right idea. Uh, having a community of of other founders, uh, health, healthcare, uh, immigration, uh, a stipend. And so the OnDeck Founder Fellowship has tried to systematically uh, tackle all of those bottlenecks. And so, uh, but then there's also this cultural, um, you know, sort of ethos that people should go on and, and build companies that it, it doesn't have, start companies that, especially early in their career, if, if they want to, it doesn't have as much risk. I sort of separate between job risk and career risk. Job risk is the risk that your job might not exist in two years. Career risk is the uh, risk that something will be a negative on your resume. And I, I a negative a blemish on your resume. And I think starting a company just like I did with Wrapped FM sort of is a, is, a, is a badge of honor. Even if it doesn't work out, you learn so much. You, you build a network. It's the fastest way to learn. And I think that helped Ryan Hoover, you know, Bring me on as as a founding team member is just the ability to handle the ambiguity, the ability to be entrepreneurial as a as an employee, and so uh, these are some of the things I, I think we we need to get better at as a, as an ecosystem to help get more investors and more founders. But, but first we need to we need to believe in it. We need we need to want to do it, and it might be um, you know it might cost you personally if you're you're a found, relatively if you're a founder or you're a venture capitalist, but you have to think it's better for for the ecosystem
0: yeah it's funny to think how when I was young, how much emphasis I'd put on um the you know the fear of risk of failure and the way that other people would see that and the as you mentioned, the blemish on the resume, and now that I'm older, i I just realized how faulty that logic was. like if you get out there and you do something really good, even if it doesn't work out, the networks you build, the connections you build, you know, if you really show people signal and in, in effort and quality and everything else, then the opportunities within that passion space, you know, become limitless. And um, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's disappointing to think about how many people don't do it because they're worried about, you know, what others, what other, what, what other folks might think.
1: And, and and you have to realize, people have to realize that they're, they're no people get known for their, win, their wins, not their losses. And right. so Rita Hoffman started social net, which is a social, you know, sort of, I think it was a dating site, actually so, social network at uh, totally failed you know, well before Facebook and, and and MySpace, and nobody remembers it. Nobody knows it. Uh, Mark Andreessen started Ning. Uh, this is well after Netscape and and his other success, uh, Loudcloud, etc. And it was it was I think it was social network for dogs, or it was another <laughs> on social network. Nobody knows it. Uh, and so uh, you know, we have long careers. Uh, you, what I sort of advise is taking asymmetric risks. Uh, risks that if you. Uh, if they don't work out, at least you'll learn it. This is what I thought a product on. You'll learn a ton. You'll build a network. It'll be one of the most valuable things you can do just for your own education. And if it does work out, well, you have some meaningful, meaningful, meaningful upside in that.
0: Love it. Asymmetric risk. Uh, Eric, what do you think the future holds for venture?
1: Yeah. I think we're going to continue to see decentralization of, of venture across the board. And and we were talking about more, you know, more capital getting in the hands of, of more individual investors. But I also think um, more people on cap tables, you know, cap, cap tables now, you know, dozens of, of people on them, but soon they'll have hundreds or, or maybe thousands and, and will tru- truly be able to unbundle value add in, in capital in, in a meaningful way. I think there'll be much more fund managers. I think rolling funds will enable thousands of people to to raise money directly. I mean, all, all these creators, content creators who have loyal audiences in, in business and in technology and. Uh, that, that sort of you know make money on substack or patreon I, I think they'll be able to s- start rolling funds. I think that's a, a new business for creator that, that's really fascinating and then broadly I think venture will will cease to be only a, a craft a game of craftsmen and it, just like the industries they invest in they'll be revolutionized by by software and and by people who build products and and platforms and and network effects businesses and then also I, I think venture will sort of renew its place as uh, solving for technical risk I, I think. Uh, you know, trying to solve really hard problems. Instead of MBAs running spreadsheets, trying to figure out, you know, CAC to LTV, they're funding companies trying to, they'll be funding companies trying to cure cancer, you know, develop flying cars, extend life, get us to the moon. I think those are the outsized bets that equity is uniquely designed to fund versus alternative, you know, uh, sort of investment vehicles or financial instruments. And I think we'll look back at sort of 2019, 2020, and, and say, wow, I can't believe founders sold you know, 50% of their companies before IPO to pay for Facebook and, and, and Google ads. And so um, those, are, those are some of my predictions.
0: I'm so glad that I, I found my way from private equity to venture because <laughs> looking at spreadsheets just doesn't quite compare with uh, the things that are upcoming and, and going on right now in our industry. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. Um, Eric, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, young folks breaking into VC. Do you have any advice uh, for those folks?
1: Yeah. So, so first is, is confirm, uh, you, you want to be VC, uh, VC is sort of a become fairly high, high, you know, relatively high status thing or thing that it's a new investment banking. A lot of people want to get into it. Confirm you want to get into it for the, for the right reasons. If you, if you want to be a founder eventually, you don't uh, need to be a VC. Some some people think that uh, it's sometimes it's probably it might be harder because you get a little too comfortable or you get a little too uh, sort of cynical. Um, and similarly, if, if you want to be a uh, a VC, a VC, you don't need to start a company. Um, you know, it's it's helpful if, if you if you want to do it. But uh, you know, there's nothing like getting better at the thing than than doing the thing itself. Um, so so you know, if you're hands-on, uh, you know, want to have a massive. You want to micromanage or have a massive control over your destiny? You always have that more with being a founder. But if you're more intellectual than than hands-on or or like having a breadth of, of activity, um, or, or then then being a VC could be great. So I think it's confirming you want to do it first, then confirming what kind of VC you want to be. I mean, Sam Altman is different than Mike Maples, who's different than Sarah Tavel, who's different than you know being a later stage VC. And, and, and the questions there are how, how much of it is. Do you enjoy operating, you know, building a product, you know, running a firm versus the actual craft of of investing, uh, and and then at what stage? If if you're more, if you're much more people driven than, than market driven, you want to go earlier stage, and 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 vice versa. And then it's you know how deep on each individual company do you want to go? If you want to go pretty deep, well then you want to have a more concentrated portfolio. If you want to be more hands off or more excited about building the the product or the or the firm or, or company building uh, than of the venture, then maybe you want to have a more Diversified uh, portfolio, um, and then in terms of uh, getting into it, well, one thing is just trying to get numbers on the board as quick as possible, um, and not not you know sort of going to Vegas and and you know just sort of as if it's a gambling casino, but like we were talking about, it does take seven to ten years to to build a track record, so you got to start investing early, and whether it's your your own capital if you're fortunate enough to do it, or whether it's it's, uh, you know, finding a scout position and the way to find a scout position, by the way, is just to add, as, add value to venture capitalists and then just ask them, uh, you know, could I be a scout or what would need to be true to be a scout? The way I did it while I was at Product Hunt was I started sending deals to, to these firms and, and they would do a, some of them. And at one point they were like, hey, it's just more efficient if we give you capital instead of uh, us, be the, uh, us be the middleman. And they did it to sort of secure my um, allegiance uh, to them. So um, that that's one way to think about just get get numbers on the board. I think investing in your friends, especially if you have your friends building, you know, a, a technology companies, uh, is, is a good strategy to regret, uh, for minimize regret, but also because you have special insight into them. Except, of course, your your not so smart friends be be their advisor. Uh, <laughs> my line. Uh, and then lastly, I think you have to you know, think about why is your capital not a commodity? You know, wh- why are you seeing in deals or getting into deals that that others can't. And this is sort of the question I asked myself at, at, at wrap, when I was doing to FM, sending deals and, and trying to get into the game. And it wasn't until product hunt that I really realized, oh, this is why you need to help startups with a core problem they they have. And so whether it's, um you know, customers where it's hiring, whether it's raising money, whether it's some core expertise, um, you know, the full ratchet, um, you know, Nick, you, you have this asset that gives you access to a bunch of, fascinating venture capitalist you 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 have evidence of a, of a big network you could certainly help founders you know raise their their, their round when it when it's time to to do so uh, and, and so that's an example of an asset and and people need to think more sort of strategically about networks it's sort of one thing to have a, a big network it's another thing to sort of be strategically networked you know you know all the people and say trucking and, and that your expertise makes you the go-to person of that and it's another thing to sort of have created communities of these networks such that people that they have sort of have loops of their own. So you've started the key conference or fellowship or podcast or group that brings these people together and continues to bring them together over time, compounding your sort of legibility as a key expert and key node. So I would think about how can you build one of those things. What's sort of easy for you but hard for others, and how can you turn that into a compounding asset? Whether it's any one of the examples we we just mentioned.
0: It's really good advice. We, we've had a lot of people on the show over the years with a lot of different venture models, and it the point didn't really sink in to me on the difference in the disparity in styles and approach until um, you know we hired two new folks on the Newstack team this year, and they do a lot of calls with other associates and analysts and principals at uh, at other venture firms. and debriefing with them and learning how different everyone's job is and how different sort of the quality of their experience is. Um, it just really hit home. And, um, I guess, you know, if the goal for young people is just to get into VC, getting a logo, I guess is, is an advantage, but, uh, I would probably challenge a lot of the young folks to think hard about what sort of culture you're going to fit into what the existing people at the firm are saying about, you know, the, the culture and the approach and the style and finding the style that, that is a really good fit.
1: Yeah. I, um, Totally, and I think it's it's easy. It's much easier for people to to go it alone right now. Um, you know, rolling funds is is new, but you could start a five hundred k rolling fund. You could start a million uh, rolling fund. You know, Chris Aka's fund first fund was was super small. Um, if you want to go your own way, if you want an apprenticeship, you know, learn from some of the best in the business at, at Besmer, or Greylock or whoever. That that's a different path, and it's it's an, an awesome path, especially if you want to do sort of Series A, Series B, you know, craftsman craftsman investing. W- one other example, I like to. And, and not just rolling funds, but also scout programs like, like Village Global. One example of a person who's really great um, example of this is, is Turner Novak. And he, 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 what he proved is that even if you can't write checks, do fantasy venture capital, uh, you know, write down <laughs> yeah. what you would, invest, what you would invest in and and, and why. Um, and, you know, he, he found a company that we also found dark store. Uh, he, he wrote about it. He said, he, this was his thesis. It was at the time that they were raising, they were a seed company and, that's just a great way to, um, to sort of build a, build a reputation without having to put capital online if, if you can. So I, I think way more people should, 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 should do that. What, what, what do you have to, what, what do they have to lose?
0: hundred percent. There was a founder I met with about three years ago and he had been doing this fantasy style and blogging about it for years. And I looked through his potential portfolio and it was really impressive. So, um, it, it didn't end up being a fit for investment, but, uh, I certainly thought about hiring him if he, uh, Chose to go a different way. Eric, what resource would you, uh, have you found valuable that you'd recommend to listeners? One thing
1: I've found valuable is um, anytime I'm interviewing somebody uh, I, uh, or, or a founder or a potential hire, I will always ask them to, uh, or I'm sorry, w- one thing I found valuable whenever interviewing a, a prospective founder or prospective hire is seeing if they've ever done podcast interviews before. It's, it's such a great way to, to get to know people and on the, the, on the flip side, I recommend that companies create internal podcasts about what, what they're about, who they are. And so uh, I recommend people to, and, and people who are looking to sell themselves, create create podcasts, personal podcasts, just here's my philosophy, here, here's what I'm about. I, I think just there's something about the audio medium that's such a great way for people to give context on each other in a way that, that writing can't. So I, I recommend uh, listening to podcasts behind people you admire or people you're looking to get to know, and I recommend creating them as well
0: such a good insight there was a point probably four or five years ago where the uh, the fastest growing and most active syndicates on Angelist were three podcasters it was Tim Ferris Calacanis, and and then us um, or th- maybe three of the top five and I I had this epiphany at that point there is something about this audio medium that reaches through to people in, in the way that the written word does not I mean Nick
1: this is uh, the first time we're ever talking but I feel like I know you for years. I mean, just, just listening to the, 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 the full ratchet. So it's, and the people some feel similarly listen to my podcast too. It, it's, it's a very powerful medium.
0: Yeah. Check it out. Venture stories that, that will be the uh, resource plug that I give because you're probably too humble to do it yourself. Um, Eric, what do you know you need to get better at?
1: When you, when you start out as an, as an investor, um, often you're, 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 you're people driven, especially early on, especially you're an angel, you're just getting into the game and, and that's perhaps how you should play it. But as you sort of rise up within the the, the ranks, um, and you start writing bigger checks, and you start doing bigger funds, and 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 you know uh, you start wanting you know more ownership, you you also have to be a uh, a, a, mar- a market investor, and you also have to be a you know, market driven investor, and also have to be an investor of, of record. And so it's one thing to just you know keep building assets such that you can get a two hundred and fifty k check in or five hundred k check in, and make people make room for you it's a total another thing for people to be say hey, no eric or Ben or ann is going to be the lead investor in, in, in my company and so i think that uh being able to develop the skill sets that some of these people have been doing it for for a decade plus uh whether it's the, the core expertise in cer- certain markets or core expertise in certain uh you know company building fundamentals is a you know it is something i need to get better at over the, over the next you know decade plus is sort of venture is sort of like a Taekwondo or something, and uh, you know that's going to sound cliche or or lame, but in the sense that it's this craft that you just endlessly need to keep improving uh, and need to you know keep showing up every day to to get better at.
0: So true, Um, Eric. What's the best way for listeners to connect with you?
1: My DMs are open, Uh, so uh, uh, I'm I'm most active on on Twitter, uh, both publicly and 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 privately. I I try to get to DMs; can't get to all of them, but certainly publicly, if if you you know reach out to me, I'll,
0: I'll I'll see it and I'll I'll get back to you. Last question of the day here: Does uh, Michigan play football this year?
1: I uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's funny. I I've never been a, a huge uh, f- football guy. My parents were are immigrants, and we, ne- we never watched it growing up. But I did. Um, I did. I was a manager briefly for the basketball team when I wanted to, you know, be a coach. Uh, and Michigan basketball is, is 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 amazing, and it's been incredible to see Tim Hardaway Jr. and and Trey Burke and uh, uh, Karis Lavert and all these other players uh, just have you know. Awesome careers in the NBA and and in the playoffs, and and the NBA playoffs just better than ever. Uh, I'm I'm glued glued to the screen watching it right now.
0: Well, good. Well, I'll I'll keep that in mind for when I'm ready to talk smack when my Hoosiers play your uh, your Wolverines. (laughs)
1: Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll look forward to it. That's a great, great, great team as well.
0: Awesome. Well, this is a huge pleasure. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Uh, I've been following you on Twitter and always enjoy, um, your insights and, and your input. Of course, the podcast is one of the best in the business. Uh, I recently heard from a, a very young person in venture that, um, it's, uh, it's his favorite even more so than TFR. So, uh, I got to give it a lot of credit and, uh, thanks so much for spending the time here with us today. Nick, it's been a pleasure. All right, that'll wrap up today's interview. If you enjoyed the episode or a previous one, let the guest know about it. Share your thoughts on social or shoot them an email. Let them know what particularly resonated with you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that some of the smartest folks in venture are willing to take the time and share their insights with us. If you feel the same, a compliment goes a long way. Okay, that's a wrap for today. Until next time, remember to overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks so much for listening.